Hello and welcome to Crisis of Faith with Joe and Drew. My name is Drew. I'm joined also by... Joe! Good job. You nailed your cue. Um, we're glad you're hanging out with us today. And uh, we're excited to get into a very special conversation. We spent the last couple of weeks talking about um, crises of faith. You know, I know it's called the Crisis of Faith podcast, but we've been talking about deconstruction um, and sort of the ways that our meta-analysis of the yes, crisis of faith. Exactly <laughs> <laughs> the way the ways that our faith kind of just comes apart at the seams at a certain point. And what do we do with that? And and what do we do next? And one of the most important and difficult things that you have to do. Um, if you're anything like us, is uh, you're going to have to have this conversation with your mom. Um, <laughs> or, <laughs> or, just to make it a little more broad, whoever it was that handed your faith to you, you're going to have to go back to them and have some kind of conversation to say, oh yeah, that faith you gave me, it came under serious crisis, and here I am today. So let's have a little jingle, and then let's talk about how you can talk about your crisis of faith with your mom. Sure, I don't believe anything about which I used to be so sure. Every secret of the universe was settled and solved, and then I turned 24. Preacher, my religion has filled me with fear and anger and hate. Now I'm here, I'm smiling like I'm fine as I step on every landmine. Walking through my crisis of faith. Yeah. Hey guys, this is Allie, preacher's kid, growing up in the 90s, like living through all of that, uh, I don't know, purity culture, just, uh, just all the things. 37 years old, finally waking up. I accidentally found your podcast. The very first episode, something that really resonated with me was the quote that you guys used from the two feminist theologians. Um, and it's just really just spinning in my head. And I just want to say I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you guys because I'm really chewing on this and I'm really digging deeper. And at 37 years old, I'm trying to find out where I land in my faith. You know, can I can I be a Christian? Um, can I love Jesus and hate the church? Is that possible? Um, so I just thank you for being a part of that journey, and I look forward to listening more. Allie, thank you so much for uh, reaching out and for sharing that you are on this journey with us. As, as much as you're thanking us for letting you know that you're not alone, it is really great for us to know that we're not alone in this as well. Uh, so we really appreciate you sharing that with us, especially in light of these conversations that Joe and I have been having here recently about all of our relationship with our own crises of faith and, uh, you know, the world and structures that we've built all around that, our church and friendships. And today, of course, uh, your relationship with your mom. Let's get into that conversation. All right, Joe, here we are. Another day, another no dollar. How do you feel about that joke? <laughs> does, that it feel like, does it feel like I just made that joke on a, on, on a startup that we were like, let's not start like that. Let's. <laughs> um, at some point, maybe we'll, let, we'll stop letting people see the seams um, <laughs> of everything that we're trying to do here. But probably not. Uh, 
So I remember um, those cutscenes are just for our Patreons. Yeah, just for the Patreon, <laughs> <laughs> which we haven't even set up. So they're literally just for us in the moment. They're not even not even going to be recorded anywhere. It's just for me and you right here, right now. That's right. What a special thing. <laughs> um, so most of our uh, friendship, w- we did not really like do ministry together. Right. So we kind of met early on and we we're like, OK, well, I, there's at least a there's at least a fraction of a chance that this guy isn't going to burn in hell or will be taken up in the tribulation or whatever. You know, like this might be someone that I could talk to in heaven. Right. Because pretty much everybody else I knew, I was just like, well, they're temporary. Yeah, um, they're but this honest. guy might get if if Baptists get let in, I was, you know, more charismatic. But if they if God lets the Baptists in, I could I got a friend here that maybe. I'd at least have somebody to talk to in the afterlife. Uh, but we didn't really, like, do ministry together. We just sort of, like, you know, enjoyed the fact that we would live forever and everybody else wouldn't. Well, we were 14. So. <laughs> also, we were 14. Not a lot of ministry happening. But then, uh, a few years later, we were um, part of, like, FCA, Bible Club stuff. We were in high school, and, and we both started kind of spreading our wings a little bit. In youth group stuff, yeah, uh, I started playing music, and and you started, I guess, teaching and leading some Bible lesson kinds of things. And we had a few opportunities, and you 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 tell me you don't remember this, but we had a few opportunities to like do it together. Like I was gonna do the music, and you were gonna do the uh, the message or the lesson or whatever. Okay, so I remember, I remember one time, in I guess it was in high school. When we went to um, somewhere around Charleston or Huntington to another, it was a youth group of a like, like a friend of a friend kind of thing. Yep. And I was gonna like lead the lesson, and you were gonna play some music. I remember that. Right. And then I remember I doing some stuff when we were in college. We would like get back together and do a, a thing or two. Yeah, yeah. There was one um, now infamous night at the United Methodist Temple. Pl- the place yeah in Beckley where uh we did some kind of event together and then you tried to peer pressure me into smoking into clothes having clove cigarettes yeah yeah that yeah. was the same no i forgot about the charleston experience that was a crazy little thing too well um in my tradition uh we were always trying to sort of unify the entire experiences in such a way that it was like what's the we want to know what the message is about whenever i'm choosing worship songs now it's kind of funny to me now because I knew approximately four worship songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I was going to do one of them every single time. It was Heart of Worship. Matt Redman. I'm coming back yeah. to you. When the music fades. That's the first line of the song, which by the and all is slipped away. It's like, imagine a moment when there's no music to worship to, but not right now, because this song is going to be a song with music to worship to. Um, but I would ask you, and I remember distinctly you looking me in the eye and saying, I can't tell you what I'm going to preach about. And then you choose the worship based on what you know I'm going to preach about. You should just do what God is telling you to do. <laughs> sing what God is telling you to sing. And I'm going to preach what God is telling me to preach. And they'll be connected in the ways they should be connected. 
I buy that. Does that seem right to you? <laughs> yeah, that seems like it something seems else like to say. To me, it seems like it would be more reversed, like like that I would be the charismatic one saying, God will speak to us both, and he will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but you were the Calvinist. Were, were you like a lazy Calvinist at the time? Like maybe just thought. I wasn't a Calvinist. wasn't no. a Calvinist. But in my tradition, there was a little bit of, um, you know, preachers were supposed to prepare in some way, right? You, well, you wanted, you wanted the preacher to, to work, all, you know, all week. Right. In some way. He's supposed to be reading his Bible and praying and, and doing whatever. But also, just like at a middle school dance, you want to leave some room for the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> That's the ideal sermon is the one that you haven't prepared and is just given to you on the fly, right? Um, which I don't know why, like, why the Spirit can't speak to you couple weeks in advance when you're sitting down to write I mean, sermon. that's the, <laughs> But, um... That's how I felt even about my own tradition, because we were even more so like that. We were just like, the Lord will lead me on Sunday morning. I will know. And I was just like, I bet he'd lead you Monday if you'd ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I bet God, God's like sweating in, in heaven every Sunday morning. He's like, oh, oh, I really wish you would prepare. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if this is going to go great, bro. <laughs> oh. So anyways, that was that was one of the only times that I remembered of us actually like getting to do some kind of um, yeah. soul-saving mission together. Right. And if I recall, thousands of souls were in We saved saved. a lot of souls. We pr- we did. Um and I found the perfect song every time. Of course. The Lord did lead me. When the music fades. <laughs> <laughs> it was the <laughs> pretty much always worked. Um, so uh, you know we we record quite a bit in advance. So if you're listening to this in real time, I mean it's a podcast. So but we don't prepare. But we don't. We prepare, do. Not too we much. are led just in the moment by the spirit. <laughs> we just happen to do the oh. thing before you hear it. That's Especially all. today. Today's episode has <laughs> no, got us both no real nervous, and there's about. no way to prepare. There's really no way to prepare before it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kind of riff, I guess, about um, about talking about this stuff with your mom. But before we do that, I want to mention something that's happening in the news now, like not when the podcast comes out, but again, people are gonna be listening to this for decades ahead, yeah. so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, our um, podcast has a lot of like staying power. I feel like yeah, people yeah, are I think so. It's as much as the Bible. Has as Probably. much saying power as the Bible. That's right. <laughs> um, we uh, so I, I just saw the music video for Lil Nas X. Oh yeah, yeah. The new song. Did you I, have the to parent, gouge your eyes out? Name, the parenthetic name of the song is "Call Me by Your Name." I can't remember what the like Montero Monsanto Montero something like Monsanto's is a place that makes uh, bad chemicals for. Uh, agriculture stuff <laughs> i think that's something else montero yeah yeah and so there's this there's this song music video this is not my official pastoral recommendation of the song or music video but it's interesting it's pretty uh, good though it's 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 as good as anything else lil nas x does i'll, I'll yeah. say that much like if you're if you're into uh taking your horse to the old town road and all of these other things i mean cinematically it's pretty good i don't love his music but I, yeah. it's it's well well produced. Yeah. 
I've yeah. never seen. I don't. You know, do people watch music videos now? I. I can't tell you when the last time... 50 million people have watched this one in the last four days. Well, I'm one of them. Um, But before this, the last time I watched a music video was on VH1. Really? Like, in in 2003. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I think it, it has to do with whatever, what style of music you're into. Because the style of music that I'm into, and I think the style of music you're into... If I'm going to watch or listen to something, like usually I'm just going to listen anyways, but if I'm going to watch something, I want it to be a live performance. Yeah. And if it's the studio, I just played on Spotify. I don't care about a video. But if you're, you know, more electronic, like electronically produced music and the types of stuff that you hear, like you're never going to want to see Lil Nas X do this song live, really. I don't know why <laughs> right. you would. It probably wouldn't be very good. Um, so you might as well throw some kind of visual thing on it and watch. That makes sense. Like, yeah, a full yeah. art piece thing. It's like Michael Jackson. You know what I mean? Like, and sure, Michael Jackson was great stuff live, um, but at the same time, the videos were a really big deal because it was hyper-produced music and very electronic, and it was sort of a a cinematic piece going along with it made sense. And I think that's what. This yeah, is. that that does because like you know we listen. I, well, I don't know what you listen to. I listen to a lot of like bluegrass and folksy stuff, and if. You, I imagine if there is a video, it's just like a dude sitting on a tree stump with a guitar, and it's not like, yeah, this <laughs> is like art. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like he's and he's dry humping Satan in the <laughs> in it's the true. music video. There is a, I mean, so if if we want to like, we don't have to walk through the whole thing. Although it would make for a great episode in and of itself. Just yeah, to I think walk we should. The whole the whole theology of this music video and everything that happens in it. Um, but more interestingly, and why we're bringing it up today, and how I think it could even maybe take us into the conversation we're going to have. Um, you know, initially I watched it, and I, I watched it because Do I watched it because the Christian. Seen the I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I watched it because the Christian community said, don't watch this. Yeah. Boycott. Right. It. I was like, I would have never known it existed if you guys hadn't told me don't watch it. Yeah. Uh, but now I watched it and showed it to my wife and sent it to a few friends. <laughs> and, um, it's in the news and, and on the radar because the Christian community kind of, you know, evangelical community there. blew up um, about this imagery it's like he took our thing that was our devil that he's humping um i guess <laughs> well, it's I not just what the there it's a whole you know talk about the artistic nature of the video it's yeah. it's a whole thing right he also produced some shoes in conjunction with this somehow i don't think the shoes are in the video you know about the shoes with the human blood in them uh no <laughs> and there's also some nikes <laughs> there's there's something Sorry. about that's a, that's such an obscure joke to make and not even a good joke but like oh about like child sweatshop. labor yeah, yeah. <laughs> sweatshop a, shoes um we don't usually go that dark do we yeah that's that's pretty deep, pretty heavy my bad everybody post trigger warning um i'll give a trigger warning after the trigger i'm gonna have to look this up to make sure i'm right but i'm i think little nas x made some also some sneakers Joe, it's lil lil lil, lil, not, not lil, lil i'm sorry i'm super white <laughs> Tiny, tiny <laughs> Nosex. <laughs> no, no, it's on them. It's on. It's on anybody who puts Lil in front of their name forever. That's your fault. Like it's not little. It's Lil. Okay. <laughs> Just so we're clear, Lil sounds more childish than little. But he made some shoes, and the shoes have okay. like 
um, you know, some satanic imagery and stuff. And they're they're the like sneakers with the um, gel things in the back, and uh, they have pumps. red ink in the in the gel and one drop of human blood. And they produced exactly six hundred and sixty six pair of these shoes. Nice. And they're selling for like a billion dollars a pair, I think, something like that. I mean, he. He, he's he's going in. It's a whole going thing. In hard. It's yeah. a yeah. It's a big. So here it's here is his post. Now, he, the thing for me is that I I saw the video. I heard everything happening. Knew all the backlash and all of the publicity. And I'm like, yeah, I, clearly the Christian community has no idea how um, the music industry works. Like we learned nothing from Eminem. We like <laughs> controversy is good for the music. Yeah. Like you don't <laughs> understand. You're driving uh, attention there if you don't want to. Um, but he has posted and kind of has this like, all right, let's let's be honest about it. And I didn't, you know, for me, I was thinking, was this really his intent, or was he just trying to make something that looked cool and, you know, to go along with what was he actually trying to make some kind of statement about the church and theology and whatever? Um, he posted to Instagram uh, or to Twitter. Uh, screenshot it on Instagram. I spent my entire teenage years hating myself because of the shit y'all preached would happen to me because I was gay. So I hope you are mad. Stay mad. Feel the same <laughs> anger you teach us to have towards ourselves. Damn. Yeah. Right? So he's like, this was calculated. Yeah. Um, to well, some degree. And I wonder if even that, even even the sort of planned, like the anticipated backlash yeah. Is part of the art, right? Oh, I think so. It exposes something. Um, That's it's, what art it's is supposed part to do. Part of the, you know, the video, the shoes, the backlash, the whole thing is is like a, a piece. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's kind of the, uh, like, if your art never pisses anybody off, then you're like, well, I don't know that that's. That's not art, at least not in the traditional historical sense. It's not the kind of thing that will matter. And if it doesn't piss anybody off right now, it's not likely to matter in 20 years. It's not likely yeah. to matter. In, um, it's not going to so have yeah. the staying power of a podcast like this. Right. <laughs> so there's got to be there's got to be some kind of angle. And uh, and I don't know. I kind of I kind of dig it. I love it. Anytime I see somebody. I mean, I was a, I was a pop punker as a kid. I was drawn to the the idea, even though I never actually participated in. I was also drawn to like Rage Against the Machine and and all of this, you know, this music that said, "I'm going to point a finger in the face of somebody in society, even if I'm going to do it childishly, and even I'm going to make sure that what I sing and what I say makes somebody mad, um, and and alters the ethos, alters the the zeitgeist or whatever." Or adds to I don't know what zeitgeist means exactly but I think that's I think that's a close to an appropriate use of it I'm going to change the way it feels to be a human right now zeitgeist means like the spirit of the age yeah yeah I'm going to I'm going to impact the spirit of this age um but yeah so I thought that that was like you know even though it happened several weeks ago um or at least it came out several weeks ago Maybe by the time this comes out, Will Nas X will have issued an official apology to <laughs> all evangelicals <laughs> and to the Pope himself. And I think that's um, about as likely as anyone in evangelical Christianity issuing an apology to Will Nas X <laughs> for the trauma they true. caused him. Um, 
But the interesting thing is the the ties that this whole controversy has to the way that he was raised and to what he was handed as a child and to, you know, as he has come onto the scene and started his career and started to see the world differently, that he is now doing an about face and not just leaving it all behind, but actually looking back and speaking to it. Um, and I think that's kind of a big part of what deconstruction is, what, what crisis of faith what a crisis of faith leads to for a lot of people. Now, some people just are handed a faith their entire life, um, decide that it doesn't really have much to speak into their life, and just leave it. They just walk away from it. Those are not deconstructing people. They're just um, departing. You know, they don't necessarily have... Not everybody has a crisis of their faith. Uh, a lot of people just don't think about their faith enough to ever have any kind of crisis, and that's a totally acceptable thing. My suspicion is none of those people are listening to the, pod, <laughs> yeah. the Crisis of Faith podcast <laughs> right. with Joe and Drew. My suspicion is most of the people that listen to this are people who took their faith really, really seriously, at least at some point in their life, and are now in a place uh, that, that it has come under fire and in crisis and uh, are trying to figure out how to navigate it and what to do. And, like, am I supposed to cause some kind of splash with my family? Am I supposed to cause some kind of splash in my church community? Am I supposed to you know, have super strong opinions about this stuff and, and make a mess everywhere I go. So I think it'd be a good thing to, for us to talk about. Like, how can you deconstruct, have a crisis in your faith, and then also still have Thanksgiving dinner? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the reason that we thought to do this episode is... Well, you ran out of ideas about what to talk about on the podcast. <laughs> so we put a couple of like things on, I don't know if you did them on Instagram, but I, I put some stuff on Facebook about, hey, give us some ideas, you know? Yeah. What to talk about. And uh, so my my mom <laughs> very generously commented on one of those posts. She said, how about you talk about how much you appreciate the constant love and encouragement you received from your parents. So there you go. I think we should take a moment just to acknowledge that. <laughs> I think, right. and, and not, uh, th there's no tongue in the cheek of either one of us, uh, for this moment. I don't, <laughs> I don't think so. No, like in all sincerity, not. like I love my parents. I'm grateful for my parents. I know that you are too. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm really like sincere. We'll we'll save the sincerity probably for later on. We'll maybe try to end in a in a more sincere place. But in all sincerity, it probably does need to be addressed at some level. Like, hey, me deconstructing my faith, me me having a a crisis in my own faith, is not necessarily uh, a an attack on those who handed it to me. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's right. And that's a really hard line to walk. It, it, it's a very, very difficult thing to say, I know that you would have never tried to harm me <laughs> with, <laughs> with this information. I know you would not have lied to me if you knew you were lying. I, didn't, I know you would not have, uh, like, I gen my parents did everything they possibly could to give me the best possible life. And, and, uh, and the best possible afterlife was a, you know, big part of the focus. Yeah. Like that's, uh, well, and so just at the outset, I just want to say handed me a lot of good things in the faith too, right? Um, yeah, a, a lot of there's a lot of the um, 
the things that we're using to deconstruct, like uh, Jesus, right? Yeah. I think you and I both have a fascination with Jesus. Right. Like, uh, we're we're really drawn to this guy and tried like try to do what he says and think think the things that he tells us to think and all that sort of stuff, which I like. You don't just wake up one day loving Jesus. Yeah, and like wanting to follow Jesus, that was we were handed that, we caught that, right? And we're right. taught that, and um, that's cool. Like that's a that that is what is the progenitor of this podcast. We're here because we're because we like Jesus a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, and it and and Jesus wrecked our faith. <laughs> and if we weren't handed at least a pretty good picture of Jesus, and all we got was sort of a cultural picture of it we probably i mean i probably would be dry humping satan um in music videos right now like yeah i I do think it's there's something to be said for like somehow the jesus narrative that we do actually like did get through so like my my parents even even in the the even in the ways that maybe they didn't even intend to somehow that part still really really got through in a way that uh, that it doesn't necessarily get through. Like a lot of people hear the name of Jesus and they associate it with white nationalism and um, and oppression of yeah. homosexual or uh, LGBTQ communities. Like that is that is something that happens. And and for whatever reason, it didn't happen to us. And I think it's because because our parents were uh, even if we disagree with a lot of their theology and their interpretation of scripture and you know on on my end, like I'm not sure my parents know a whole lot of scripture to just to be completely honest um they were good people uh they are good people and so the jesus stuff came through in a way that was good yeah <laughs> and that yeah, we totally. we kind of held on to so that um on there was an lol on the end of that that i didn't read that was a little yeah. little joke um <laughs> from march but then we had a another post same post uh, about like hey wh- what do you want us to talk about and she responded again <laughs> and i'll read that one to you she said well i already gave one thought although it was in jest <laughs> um but here's here's the real thought how about appreciation for all those who poured into your lives over the years some mistakes along the way but everyone has a thousand people who spent countless hours preparing praying for and loving on you loving on is such a such an interesting evangelical turn of phrase, right? Yeah, it's it's, an, on. it's one of those real creepy ones. That, uh, <laughs> Loving on you. That don't sound creepy to us because we've been in it so long. It probably sound creepy to anybody I else. would love to hear some acknowledgement of that and appreciation. Uh, it's not always the bad that has to be discussed, just my perspective. So, anyhow, that's uh, that that comment. We um, I called you to, to talk yeah. about our feelings, and we had a long like a pretty long discussion about that. Um, do right. we want, do we want to do a show on that? And it turned out like after talking for a while, yeah, we definitely want to do a show precipitated by that. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. To just take a moment and say, yeah. And, and we just did start here. You know what I mean? Like we, we did kind of say to a lot of people, um, if you're just coming to the podcast, you know, six months into its existence and you're going to like just want to start getting to know us now. Well, we, we said, 
a few episodes ago, that's a really good place to start. I think all the stuff before that's cool and great, but if you jump in any of those moments, you might actually not get the whole picture, but I think you get the whole picture. And so pretty early on in this new journey with, with hopefully a lot of new people listening, uh, I think it's important to start with like, yeah, I, I don't know that this podcast in particular. Now, we really, really enjoy some bitter podcasts. <laughs> we really enjoy some some people who do uh, their deconstructing and, 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 you know, deal with their crises in kind of angry ways and just sort of like they're just throwing stuff, um, flipping tables constantly. Uh, we enjoy that. I don't think it's in either of our nature to do that. And also, I don't know that we were harmed as much. We've said so many times, like, we happen to be um, a couple of middle-class, cisgender, um, heterosexual white guys uh, who had a, a pretty good knack for teaching the Bible and and I had a pretty good knack for doing the music thing. And so, like, we, we really did find a home in the, you know, the church was only ever good to us. Some of what, some of the uh, maybe red anger or aggression that ever comes out from us, which, is, again, it's not much, but when it does come out, it is on behalf of um, people who, didn't experience this the same way that we did um that's the part that i just before we get into like let's do some appreciation let's i do want to say like as we offer these appreciations and as we sort of say like we're, we're actually grateful for some of what we were handed i do i think it almost has to, like that has to be set up with and you know if i were born gay or if i you know, had had different feelings about my own gender than I have. If I were born a different skin color, if I were born into, I, I think the whole thing would have uh, impacted me very, very differently. And I, I just kind of want to speak that to anybody listening who's just like, "Well, wait a second. It sounds, sounds like your whole experience was pretty rose tinted." Was like, "Well, <coughs> it, it kind of is." Um, yeah, but I want to acknowledge why that is. So we we did an episode. Oh God, I don't know. It was a long time ago. Um, I think it was just like a question and response episode. And somebody asked, uh, somebody I didn't know asked, like, "What do you do with your anger and your yeah?" And and I think you know we talked about that a little bit. Um, but I I think I said in that podcast that I I experienced in my like um, beginning to question my faith beginning to pull on some cards you know um, terror I experienced fear but I I personally didn't experience a lot of anger so I was like you know trying to talk through um, allowing yourself to feel the full range of human emotion and um, you know just sort of basic emotional intelligence kind of stuff but I, I can't empathize with with the anger, but I got to tell you, like, this is what I called you when, when we saw this, um, you know, we were talking through all kinds of suggestions that people made about what to talk about on the podcast and got this one about, you know, how about some appreciation for the folks that have, uh, been, that have helped you to develop and grow in your faith. And, um, 
it pissed me off. I was so, I was seething mad when I first saw this uh, this suggestion, and I couldn't I couldn't think through why. Uh, yeah. It made me so mad, um, and so like I was. It took me a while to process, and I, I've been doing. Um, so I came across this article the other day on religious trauma, and I say I mean I really did just come across it, just like came across my desk, but I've been reading a lot about religious trauma lately as well. Um, but I came across this particular article, and I shared it on Facebook, and I said, just, just like, not crisis of faith. It was my personal Facebook account. And I said, hey, just curious. Um, psychologists these days are starting to use this term, religious trauma syndrome. And if I, if I just said those words, like, does that resonate with anybody? And yeah. do you have a story about that that you'd be willing to share with me? And Drew, you would not believe, I mean, it would blow your hair back. Yeah. The number of people who have responded to me, who have sent me private messages, and the stories that they've been telling me, it's fucking crazy. Yeah. It's un- yeah. It's unbelievable. Um, and so what I think, like, the the visceral anger that I had about that is, like, as I've been processing it, is is about that like you know i i do not consider myself to have been traumatized by by my faith i i do think there's something inherently traumatic about um telling a a child that they're going to that there's a a real threat of them being burned for all of eternity yeah, I mean that's there's something inherently traumatic about that, and to say that it is the God of the universe, like the the Creator, the the one who holds all this together, that wants to burn you, um, and that that's that you were born that way, right? who you are at your core is a person worthy of of that kind of. Thing. I mean that's that's traumatic. That you say that to a child, that's inherently traumatic. Um, so I have that kind of experience, but not not anything like um, some of the experiences that folks have been telling me about. And I'm not going to talk about any of that on the podcast um, because yep. you know that's, those their stories. But if it were any other kind of trauma, right? If if we said take take a child who had been um, well, let's I mean if you take a child who who I grew up in a church. This uh, this was a little bit before my time, um, but in my there was a there was a massive um, uh, abuse scandal, sexual abuse scandal in my in my church, where a lot of kids um, in the church that I grew up in, where a lot of kids who were ten to twelve years older than me. Um, were abused by a staff person. Young boys. Young right. boys were abused by okay. a, a male staff person sexually. Um, and, you know, we see that as real trauma. That's, we see that as, as physical trauma. And if we said to, to those people, like, okay, yeah, but remember all the sweet music he taught you? Like, yeah. shouldn't you say thanks for all that sweet music? No, fuck that. Yeah. 
No, you yeah. don't. You like that is not a requirement for you to say, and um, that's not like so. My anger, and again, it took me a while to process this to figure this out. Was on behalf of all these people that I know that have been really traumatized by the church and the notion that they are sure i mean were there people in their church that that cared about them absolutely were there people in the church that put a lot of work into to doing the things that that they did absolutely were there people yeah i mean were there were there people that loved them yes but it is not a requirement for you to then say like to then try to muster up some appreciation if yeah. like when you've been yeah like that's the the there's there's real abuse that happens and the theology itself can be abusive and it's not it is not a requirement now all of that to say i i personally don't describe my own experience as traumatic um, even though I think the the theology, I mean, maybe I'm rethinking that. Maybe like I do think the theology is inherently traumatic. Some of it. Well, the theology is, the theology is is extremely traumatic. You're you're right. That's, I mean, the first episode of this podcast ever was the good news isn't good enough. Yeah. Right. We basically came in and said we were handed a bucket of stuff, and told this is the good stuff, and it didn't seem so good. Yeah. Um, it's like God is mad at you just for being you you didn't know he was mad uh, but he is um so god created birthed himself so he could murder himself because that's how mad he is and you're still not fine unless you you know believe that and then live according to certain sets of principles otherwise he's still gonna burn like he murdered himself not for you um, unless you somehow know that he murdered himself for you like that, that is some weird and twisted and traumatic stuff. Whenever you kind of lay it out for what it, what it really is. Um, I think you, you, uh, posted on crisis of faith, uh, Facebook, something that kind of memed that and made yeah. that funny a couple of days ago. And it really is kind of a ridiculous and crazy thing. So the theology is traumatic. Now, what I would like to add on top of that though, is there were great and beautiful and wonderful people in the churches that I was a part of growing up. Me too. There were really, really, who were attracted to it because it was community that was going to feed hungry people, that was going to love people, that was going to, that was going to hug 20 people every, you know, it was like a place I could go where I know I could hug like 25 people who might need a hug. Like that's a beautiful thing. I love that kind of thing. It also, in the same room, that theology stuff attracts a certain type of people. That stuff is perpetuated. Those teachings are perpetuated by a people who really like the idea of a God who murders people who disagree with them. They really like the idea of a God who punishes um, relentlessly anyone who uh, doesn't go all in, doesn't agree, doesn't... um, and that is where a lot of the trauma comes. And, and unfortunately, those are the preachers that get the most attention. Unfortunately, John Piper was the voice, was the pastor of every pastor in my generation. You know what I mean? Like everybody that really got serious about studying the Bible, like was following John Piper. 
um, was following these angry, judgmental, this theology that we're like, well, is the theology itself traumatic? Yes, but it also attracts tra- traumatizing people. Um, well, and it's not just the same room, Drew. It's the same heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, ah, that's, true. All, that's true. All the pe- uh, Okay, I'm not going to talk about anybody else. I'm going to talk about myself. Because, um, <laughs> I mean, this is a great story, actually, about um, experience from family and what you learn and stuff. Uh, so I was in high school, and my sister was in college, and um, my sister has always been like just a lover of people, uh, just like all kinds of, um, yeah, I don't know. She's just, she's like always had a, a thousand friends and, you know, um, and so for a while, for most of college, I think she would bring home all of the international students from school who didn't have a place to go for like Thanksgiving yeah. or Christmas or whatever. They would come, come to our house. And so, um, her first year in college, so I was I would have been in like tenth grade. Um, she brought home for Thanksgiving um, a student. I'm not sure who, where he was from, but he was a Sikh uh, religiously. Yeah, and um, you know, so Sikhs don't eat any any kind of animal. They're vegan. They don't eat any kind of animal product. And um, so I I remember. My mom was, my mom was being like just really generous and trying to make, like you know she's a down home West Virginia cook had no idea how to navigate this right, and so was trying trying to make all the modifications and do the things necessary to meet his diet, and so she made some kind of potato dish or something and and realized after she had put it together that she had put some like chicken broth or something with chicken chicken broth in it. Um, and so she said, like, she, I think Lisa and her friend were out somewhere, and my mom said to me, oh, my goodness, I accidentally, you know, put in this chicken stock. I don't know what I'm going to do. I need to go make another batch of potatoes. Because, she, like, she had the gener- – even despite what, despite what the belief system said – she was an adult, right? Right. And and knew how to navigate the difference between what her belief system said and how she really feels about the world, her real right. generosity and her real compassion. And so she was like, I, I I'm messed up and I'm gonna I, I don't wanna make this person do something that would hurt his conscience, right? And and so she's really worried about it. And my response my deadpan response, not as I wasn't being funny, I wasn't being, this was, this is just the way the logic worked for me. I said, what does it matter? He's going to hell anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And like that, um, it's what in, in trauma studies is what you call moral injury. Um, it's what happens when a soldier goes off to war who's a good good and loving person and sees everyone in their life with love and compassion and then they have to shoot a man. And what do you do with that? Like what do you do with the the way that your morality has to fragment when you have to be something that you're not in this in this circumstance? 
and so like what is it you know my my mom was old enough and wise enough to navigate the difference and she could actually she didn't i mean she wouldn't have articulated it this way but she was fragmenting her religious belief from her from her morality she was saying no i i'm gonna it doesn't matter you know what this person believes um, yeah i i'm gonna treat them with compassion and kindness i couldn't do that because f- to me well he he's gonna burn because of his belief yeah he's gonna burn so i mean who cares if he has a little chicken he's he's headed for the fires of hell um and so <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I, I say all that to say like that is in every person who who's teaching this yes i i was like i had so many i can think of um you know when i was reading this post i was thinking through like my dad and my and this uh, another friend of his um used to host these lock-ins for the boys at church, like the elementary and middle school age boys. And they would, my God, I don't know how many tacos they made (laughs) and like how, how many nights they would stay up all night, just like doing, playing like magic tricks and just doing. And I think about that now and think, Oh, I don't have that kind of, (laughs) I don't have it in me to do that. (laughs) Like, um, and I think about like Sunday school teachers who, how do they deal with all of our crap? <laughs> like we were just terrible. And I mean, really good. Um, you know, I had a, I had a youth pastor who had some demons for sure, but also was like just super formative for me in my teenage years and, and shaped who I am in a lot of ways and like really good people. And also, and also, even in like it's those people from whom I received this message, and and they're they're navigating it too. Like they're See, they're that, also receiving it. They're also like, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, apart from the biblical and historical stuff. Probably my most um, the most like pressing crisis of faith thing for me is those people like. I started, I stopped believing in hell mostly because I didn't want to believe in it. Like, um, and because mostly what I saw in the good people, like the reason I stuck around the church was for the good people, was for the people that, and what I saw in them was honestly and sincerely, there's no way they think this is actually true. There's no way these people actually believe this. They're better than their God. Yeah. These if they really believed it, they better. wouldn't care about the chicken broth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. They would, they would have said what you said. They would be... Um, the only people I see in, in evangelicalism that really believe it, as far as I'm concerned, are the Westboro Baptists. Yeah. They're the only people who really go the full Monty with it. Like, they're just... They're all in on their like, yeah, you're gay, you go to hell. That's why would we dance around that? Why would we try to invite you into our churches? Why would we, why would we give you an opportunity to serve in any way? Like you're, you're temporary. You'll be burned forever. Um, 
a big part of my crisis. And, and I think that needs to be said. This, this is a way for me to say something that could potentially sound angry that is actually, I think, very appreciative and very nice. I, I mostly started deconstructing my faith because I said, wait a second, these Christian people that I know, the ones that I'm connected to the most, they're better than the God that they talk about. Yeah. That's right. They have a better moral compass than the God they serve. Yeah. They are they would never take violent action. They wouldn't murder people. They wouldn't do the things that they think their God would do. They wouldn't torture people. So in a lot of ways, the Christ that was in those people, not just the Christ of the Bible, and I you know, we happen you and I both happen to be, you know, Bible reading guys like happen to be kind of academically minded and were like, we'll just get to the bottom of this <laughs> and went and read the book. But but I went and read the book because I saw a a discontinuity or a disconnection. Like yeah. there was something that didn't work for me. Like, wait a second, you believe that your next door neighbors who are Muslim are going to die and burn for all of eternity, and yet you're also going to, you know, send them a Messel like a, a a dried beef roast <laughs> as a gift just because they moved in and you knew that they you know like that kind of thing <laughs> in the country yeah. that they came from like you looked it up and found out they like that and so you you sent that you why what that doesn't make sense you're extending an olive branch that God wouldn't that your God wouldn't yeah you're nicer than your God and that just doesn't work for me well and that's you know that's a really great um we talked about this, I don't know, sometime recently that Rhett from Good Mythic Morning and, and Ear Biscuits and all that um, had said, you know, like, kids aren't leaving the church because they didn't, like, because you need to educate them more about the Bible. Your, your yeah. kids are leaving because the, they don't know the teachings of Jesus or something. Your kids are leaving the church because they do know the teaching of Jesus. Um, and so, you know, we can say, like, we well, we started out by saying, yeah, like, our our parents, the people who handed us faith, me and you, I'm not talking for anybody else, me and you, Drew, the people who handed us faith handed us, G, uh, like, a, a real appreciation for Jesus, but also they showed us Christ. Yeah. Like, it was because of, of their example, because— because they lived Christ that we said, oh, I can't, I can't believe the words that are coming out of your mouth anymore. Right, right. Um, that's, yeah, that's... Fun, funny that's little uh, side note of, the, uh, of, of the, the two different kind of experiences that I think you and I maybe are having, um, even with our parents in this. My, <laughs> my parents, uh, which, by the way, they stopped listening to the podcast. They just can't with you. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> they, uh, and I have another podcast with my wife, uh, like this for our church. They don't like her either. <laughs> uh, they like that one a lot. Oh, okay. So they okay. just listen to that now. And like, who has time for two podcasts worth sure. of me a week? I guess. Yeah. Um, but uh, they, <laughs> when she was listening, um, she, my mom did listen through like the Hell series where we talked a tremendous amount about Hell. Um, she denied that she ever believed it and that she handed that to us like yeah. she basically said i did not tell you that every which <laughs> to her since she's not listening i'll go ahead and say uh yeah she did but <laughs> to her credit 
I didn't get it as much from her as from the church, the church. stuff that she took me to. Yeah. Um, and that didn't um, didn't exactly come a- afterwards and say, like, by the way, we don't believe any of that stuff. Like that, that was kind of that was kind of her response in it. But it's been an interesting journey with them to kind of discover like no I don't know that denial <laughs> is useful like denying that you ever believed that or that you ever taught anybody that um, is is useful and maybe she just you know <clears throat> my kids are going to tell me stuff in 20 years that I said to them and I'll be like no I didn't that doesn't sound like me um, because I'll be so different in 20 years that I won't be able to imagine myself saying <laughs> and doing some of the like I can't imagine you saying you know, he's just going to burn in hell anyway. Like that <laughs> right. we change so much that, yeah. um, but it is interesting to see that my parents are in this process of deconstructing in their own way, less academic and less intentional. They, they are, their faith has been in crisis, especially in 2020, uh, in some of the same kinds of ways, uh, just at a different, it's a slippery slope, Judy. <laughs> it is, it is. I mean, they, Here's a she. This is just a little anecdote that about. <laughs> um, this happened this morning. I was I was <laughs> taking the kids over to their mom's house on the way here to the office, and it's Easter week here. It's it's the it's Holy Week, uh, and so like when back we're in the past. back in the past when we're recording this, <laughs> and so on Wednesdays when we're recording this, I'm also going to record for church, and so I, I had a tie. I had a tie hanging up uh, I was going to take with me to record some stuff for church. I never wear a tie. Um, but it was hang- it was just hanging there by the door. And Cosby, my 11-year-old, says to me, seems like you wear the same shirt and tie every week. And I said, oh, no, he said, he said we go to, um, we, we take, martial arts together and he said it seems like you wear the same shirt and tie every every time we go to the dojo and i said why would i wear a tie to the dojo he was like you always wear a tie but here's the thing i wear a tie like twice a decade maybe (laughs) (laughs) and but he was dead serious he wasn't it was just like well i saw a tie and now i remember you always wearing a tie yeah and like you know and then and then Clover jumped on. She was, yeah, yeah, you always wear a tie. Like I mean they're they're completely serious. Um they just have no idea that I don't always wear a tie. Yep. And so, you know, maybe one time we went to church and somebody threatened us with the fires of hell and it was so traumatic that it just got seared into our brains. Right. And our parents didn't even know about it. Like and we just think that it happened every Sunday and every time <laughs> like Right. Prayer before meal every day or whatever. Right. That that's possible. And it's also <laughs> possible that like you know, just speaking to my own my my own mom and dad uh and and their experience in this stuff. The point that I was even trying to make about them going through their own crisis of this stuff and even denying that they ever believed that or that they would have taught us that kind of thing. Um the point I was making is I'm now seeing life for both of us a little less like oh yeah well you probably you know had deconstructed by the time you were 30 in the ways that I had 
like you probably were on a, a similar trajectory like you took your 20s to sort of figure out your faith and by the time you were 30 you were starting to put back to pieces of like keeping what you wanted to keep and getting rid of and I, i'm actually seeing like no actually it's a little more parallel like they might have they might have actually said at one point to me yeah if you don't do this right you're going to help because they were being traumatized by the same stuff like probably because they believed it in this they heard the same sermon i did yeah right they saw the same you know uh heaven's gates hell's flames play that i did they saw son and daughter uh being separated from mother and father um one to go to heaven one to go to hell just like i did and so they may have in a moment uh, said something that was not reflective of what they mostly taught, but that was the thing that that sort of stuck out for me, and, and that I'm I like I remember and thinking, no, that's what you always said, um, which just may not actually be true. Um, it's a pretty good point to be made. So we haven't um, done any, um, you know, the title of this episode is something like how to talk deconstruction with your mom. Yeah. And we obviously can't change that title because it's just it's too good. So it's pretty good. Now we got to make the episode fit the title because <laughs> we haven't done any like how tos. Yeah, let's give you got any advice about that? Um, I'll tell yeah, you how I, I do a, it. I started a podcast. Yeah, that's my my parents. Which, in all sincerity, let's go ahead and just stay on that one. Let's call that a real point. Let's suggest okay. maybe you should start, start a, podcast. a podcast. Yeah. Um, here's what's good. Send about the link that. to your parents. <laughs> <laughs> and then just totally ignore it every time you actually see them live. <laughs> Here's what's good about this. Here's what's good about this for me. Now, obviously, not everyone should probably should start a podcast. Um, we don't need the competition. You can monologue the, without this, this pool any. is full. <laughs> you could just talk to no one. What was incredibly useful, though, like it, you almost, first of all, you need to process stuff on your own. And the podcast has been a really great way for us to sort of process and get better at articulating how we actually feel and what we actually think about things and, and diving into corners of our mind and corners of our faith that we didn't even know were there and we didn't even know where the trauma came from. We didn't know there was trauma. Like, we just thought we were mad or what. So, you know, actually processing this stuff out before um, trying to process it with anybody else uh, or, or with anybody that's, like, close... Cause as much as we talk about our friendship, our lifelong friendship, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot at stake whenever we first started talking about this. Like, we live in separate states. We've not had very connected lives. We mostly, like, hung out at Christmas time in Beckley yeah. um, once a year. And so it became a pretty good relationship for us to start exploring and saying, like, I think I could probably tell you anything I'm thinking. And if I piss you off too much, like, and you just say, I'm never talking. I'm expendable. Basically. Okay, cool. It'd be like, it'd be like the last 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just go back to let's get a beer at Christmas time. Um, It was useful that you didn't hand me my faith is what I'm saying. It was useful that, that whenever I say things, you are not going to take them personally. You're not going to say, no, we didn't. Uh, My Christian faith did not give you that. Um, so that was a really useful, like, just if point one is start a podcast, I mean, I think you could think of it in that way. You could think of it in terms of, like, you know, get some clarity about could what journal. it is that you're actually... You could, could write journal. in a journal. You could see a therapist. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, uh, that's if that's helpful. in the budget. Um, yeah. those, those things might actually be really, really useful. And then, 
you know, the, the advantage of starting a podcast is you actually can go back to certain episodes and you can have a kind of monologue. Uh, you can pass a monologue to your parents, which, you know, nobody listens to a speech in person whenever you're like, here, I want to tell you real quick um, all of the things that I'm working through about, you know, my, the faith that you handed me. It's just not going to work very well. Uh, a recorded version helped a lot. It was enough for my mom to say, like, okay, I listened to, like, ten of those. I think I get what you're going through. Can we not talk about it anymore? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like, cool. Yeah, that's better. It's good that we, it's good that we did we this. Now we, don't have to, now we don't have to pretend like that's not a thing. Um, yeah, what, what was your, what's your number two? You got other? Oh, well, I mean, number my one, personal strategy has been to start a podcast and then ignore it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> No, you know, I don't know. I end up, I talk to my dad about this stuff a lot. We just, I, I don't know. He, he has questions about it all the time. So, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't have any good advice. <laughs> I think, yeah. um, you know, honesty is the best policy when when you're asked questions um but also you know i i don't know who the like we have some demographic information about our audience and i think it's probably a pretty standard bell curve of most of the people are about our age like mid 30s or so um you know there were times when i in my 20s like when I was right out of college and I was so smart and I knew you know all kinds of things uh and that I wanted to f- fight about that that was my first I'm I'm, I'm yeah. picking on myself a little bit I guess I should just say like that was my first reaction to to deconstructing some um some things that I was handed, like that was my first reaction to going through some crisis of faith is, is to want to fight back. Um, which is by the way, a particular type of trauma response. Um, you know, fight, flight, freeze. These are there. They are biological responses to, to trauma. You can't help it, but you can heal from it and you can, um, you know, get healthier patterns so don't beat yourself up about it um but if you find yourself wanting to fight or wanting to run away know that both of those are maybe not the best option um know that you can start to see a therapist start to keep a journal start to work on start to you know uh work through some of your crises of faith uh so that you can be in a healthier place to to, to be able to have conversations when they come up. Um, but, you know, it's not your responsibility necessarily, unless you just feel like you want to do this because you want everything on the table. It's not your responsibility necessarily to, like, blurt it out <laughs> all the time. Yeah, I think some – when I think of, like, the early 20s stuff, um, back when I was so smart, too, um, and there is, like, a – there's this – is indignation the right word? Like there's this, when you discover the thing, you have this moment of like, where you're just appalled by the thing that you just discovered. 
and you assume that everyone else will be just as appalled as you are. Everybody's going to be like, well, wait a second. It says what? Wait a second. That came from where? Like, I had no clue. And, And this is where the arguments come from, because you're basically saying, hey, mom, dad, um brother sister youth pastor who whoever you know is in your life at this point that you're like i need to probably talk to them about my own crisis of faith that i'm not i'm not who i used to be if if you feel that pressure i don't think you have to you know i mean i'm i'm with you honesty is the best policy I, I think it sucks to have to like pretend that you're not something um i say that as an evangelical who's been deconstructing for about 15 years <laughs> on staff at churches where uh, anybody who knew me personally knew the things that I was just keeping my lips sealed about <laughs> um, through all of it. But that being said, if you feel like you need to talk to these people, one of the things that like is a really necessary part to remember is it's going to say our, our indignation the the ways that we're appalled by things are going to sound really personal to people who have not seen the light in the same way that we have you know what i mean whenever you come back and you're like saying hey this whole belief system is racist your parents hear you saying you're racist (laughs) they don't hear you saying hey i know none of us have like we're we're not the the ones that perpetuated this problem but now we need to address it together to make sure that we don't perpetuate it or make sure that we aren't sort of complicit in the ways that these things go forward and there is kind of a pressure that we end up putting on other people that is like our own emotional knee-jerk response to things which may even be right. Like, I didn't change my mind about most of that stuff. Most of the stuff that I was appalled by when I was 21 or whenever, and I, back when I was so smart and discovered all these things, I'm still appalled by them. But just what I do with that indignation is pretty different now because I'm starting, I, I see that everybody kind of has these own, their own revelations of this and their own experiences of it. And I also see how personally people take it at times that, like, it's not often, um, Oftentimes, it is not a personal conscious decision that the people that we love made to participate in the evils of our faith. Like they, and so whenever we attack those evils of our faith, it just feels like they feel like we're attacking them. And I think that's a yeah, that's yeah. a hard line to walk. Maybe I mean that's what start that's what sparked this. I mean that's what was the I know it was in jest, but that is what what Marge was commenting. Why she was saying like, are you gonna say anything about the nice stuff? Um, well, yeah, because we didn't, we didn't, along with saying all the things that we were appalled by, we didn't also say, and also, uh, some of the Sunday school teachers were really good at this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like we were addressing the stuff that was a problem. You know, this is, this is going to be super corny and like, uh, just cliche, but part of what you're naming there, I think is when you start. Like, everybody goes through, I think, at some point in your life, everybody who takes their faith kind of seriously goes through a process of, like, it's just like anything else. Like, you you do this with math, too, right? At first, you learn 
two plus two equals four, three plus three equals six, and you just memorize it. You just handed something, and you it's a body of knowledge, and okay, yes. And eventually, yeah. you know, if you take math seriously, you'll you'll start to figure out. Oh, I understand why two plus two equals four. I like, and you you make it your own. You go through a process of making it your own. Same thing happens with faith. You're handed a body of of belief, and you start. You, you take this journey. And so it sounds like what you're naming is you took a first couple of steps on the journey when you were in college, you know, on that that path. And you were like, oh, new discovery. Everybody, look, 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 look. Right. And instead, you know, because that's that's what you thought. You thought it was just like, oh, here's a brand new discovery. And instead what you learn is, oh, I'm actually on this path. And it takes a while to even figure out that you're on a path, <laughs> right? Yeah. But once yeah. you've figured out that you're on a path, you go, oh, well, everybody else is on a path too, and and so part of it is just learning how to honor everybody's path. Like, okay, well, here's where I am, and like I'm gonna, I'm not gonna um, back down about that. I'm not gonna like hide and pretend that I don't believe the things that I believe, or I, you know, I haven't asked the questions that I've asked. But I also don't have to attack and make sure you're there. Um, I'm just gonna stand my. Yeah. kind of sacred ground right here and I'll notice where you are and and we'll just like we can just honor each other there. Yeah. And there's a there is a very I'll call it holy. Um maybe a good place to end this conversation uh which is almost a way of non non answering the question, but I do think it's probably maybe the most important thing to say about all of it. There is a holy version of agreeing to disagree <laughs> and I think that's exactly what you're getting at there and, and probably the most important part of the process of all is realizing like whatever path I'm on whatever journey I'm on wherever I am on the continuum of my of my faith some everybody else is on some different version of it um, some different path of it and trying to force I mean it's just we could we could find ourselves in a new fundamentalism. Yeah. Whenever we try to force people to have the same revelations and the same um, angers and the same whatever that we have, then we're we're saying like, kind of what we talked about where we landed at the end of our uh, sin a how to guide episode was getting to the point where we're like, well, we want to make sure that we don't make deconstruction the new necessary, um, like, you know, like the ways that you told me you have to believe all of this stuff or God will be mad. Well, I can't now tell you, no, 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 you have to believe, <laughs> have to believe this, this stuff, stuff. <laughs> or God will be mad. Yeah. Um, right. I think a, a very holy and righteous agreeing to disagree is, is hugely important, especially whenever we're dealing with the people that we love and care about the most and the people that we're going to share Thanksgiving dinner with and the people that are going to be there by our side through thick and thin, no matter what, through like, love and loss and divorce and remarriage and like and, and that we're going to sit with like through their difficulties and pains like there has to be some level of I know that we don't agree on everything and that is not what makes us family <laughs> that is not what makes us friends that's not what makes us fellow humans and that's not even you know Sometimes the stuff that we disagree about needs to be addressed because y your version is damaging or my version is damaging. But a lot of times we're just talking about stuff that neither one of us know what the hell we're talking about either. 
anyways, like we're just speculating about who God is. Seriously, like we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have a we're gonna have an argument over Thanksgiving turkey, ba- on on who God is and what God is going to do to us whenever we all die. Really? <laughs> I mean, is is that actually is that actually worth this moment? Um, does either of our gods really want that? don't believe anything about which I used to be so sure every secret of the universe was settled and solved and then I turned 24 preacher my religion has filled me with fear and anger and hate now I'm here I'm smiling like I'm fine as I step on every landmine Walking through my crisis of faith